You're listening to Radio Albion, talk radio for the nationalist community. Hello, welcome to yet another uh, Daily Nationalist with your host, Matthew Raphael Johnson. And this is going to be going out Thursday, the 25th of January, 2024. Now, some of you um, may have heard that an official report has come out of the Hamas organization, actually this past Sunday the 21st, um, summarizing their mission, their purpose, and what happened um, on October 7th of last year. It's 16 pages. It's written in decent English. It's entitled, Our Narrative, Operation Al-Aqsa Flood. And it's their very first public account an official account of their uh, of their operation, their motives, and their goals. Now, I personally don't think that there are any surprising bits of information there. What is worthwhile is what they stress and what they what they don't stress. I want to quote, and this is a little on the long side. This is section one, part one directly from their narrative, and this is their their thumbnail sketch of the historical uh, concern here. They say this, The battle of the Palestinian people against occupation and colonialism didn't start on October 7th, but over 105 years ago, including 30 years of British colonialism and 75 of Zionist occupation. In 1918, the Palestinians owned almost 100% of the land in Palestine, and represented 92% of the population on the land. While the Jews who were brought to Palestine in mass immigration campaigns in coordination between the British colonial authorities and the Zionist movement managed to seize control of not more than 6% of the lands in Palestine and to be 31% of the population prior to 1948 when the Zionist entity was announced on the historic land of Palestine. At that time, the Palestinian people were denied the right of self-determination and the Zionist gangs engaging in ethnic cleansing campaign against the Palestinians aimed at expelling them from their lands. As a result, the Zionist gangs seized control by force of 77% of the land of Palestine where they expelled 57% of the people and destroyed over 500 Palestinian villages and towns, committed dozens of massacres against the Palestinians, which all culminated in the establishment of the Zionist entity in 1948. Moreover, in continuation of the aggression, the Israeli forces in 1967 occupied the rest of Palestine, including the West Bank, the Gaza Strip, Jerusalem, in addition 
to the Arab territories around Palestine. Now, that's how this opens. And that's, of course, a, a, a thumbnail sketch of the history, but it's accurate as far as it goes. They kind of glossed over the war between Israel and Britain, but that just goes to show the level of fanaticism of of these Zionist gangs, which is exactly what they were, Ergun, Stern Gang, whatever. And the leaders of these gangs, which who, who absolutely promoted and used terrorism, usually by their own admission, then later became elites in Israeli politics. Keep in mind, too, as I've um, argued and written about many times, the early years of the USSR, of the, of the Israelis were, of the Israeli state was created by the USSR. The US, for a short time, was on the fence due to their investments in the Arab uh, countries around Israel, but none were as fanatical as, as Stalin. There were a bunch of reasons why that switched later on, but in the 40s, Stalin was the primary backer of um, of Zionism and hence the establishment of the state of, of Israel. Now, of course, since then, the official numbers are about 25,000 dead Palestinians, which is a low number, the overwhelming majority of whom are, are non-combatants. Uh, 25 hostages have been killed. That's a, another minimum. So Hamas just comes out and says, we need to clarify what happened on October 7th and the motives behind it. They're interested in laying out a general context. Now, as you probably already know, um, it's not the easiest thing to find. You have to actually put in the title of this report. I use quotes to get it, because normally what the media does with something like this, I mean, they could just ignore it entirely, and some outlets have tried to do that. But I've seen, just in a quick search, in various engines, that they're telling you what's in it. Which is sort of what I'm doing right now, although from a slightly different point of view. The point of them telling you what's in it is to distort it. They do this all the time. Most people aren't going to read it. I think it's a very simple, um, you know, handful of pages. But, you know, the average American is not going to read this. The average citizen of the UK is not going to read this. So, but it's very important that they talk about not just 1948, but what happened prior to 1948. In other words, this has been more than a century of this constant migration, the slow growth in the popularity of Zionism, and then, of course, World War II, which was the central event of the 20th century and changed everything and every country on the planet. Of course, there's been five wars against Gaza since 2000, and this, the, the second intifada uh, killed more than 10,000 Palestinians, and they also stress that the Oslo Accords, as, as weak as they were, were have long since been abandoned. If you remember, and I, I'm going to probably upload this soon to the uh, to my Patreon, my analysis of Donald Trump's deal of the century, where they, this is, you know, the, these people that 
are on the interior of the, the power, at least in Washington, D.C., who don't know much about comparative politics and how these, how these things work. They have a very simple-minded view. I'm going to quote Chris Hedges here in a little while where he goes into great detail about how simple-minded uh, these people are pretended to be interested in a two-state solution, except that the Palestinian state that they advocated wasn't a state in any sense whatsoever and had absolutely zero independence and was ruled and dominated entirely politically and economically by by the Israelis. It was really almost a, a mockery. It was, it was comedic. And so this is what Zionists mean. Well, we offered them a state and they turned it down. Well, the, it wasn't a state. That's yet another lie that's believed by people who actually think that diplomats and, and politicians know anything about these topics. Hamas also, now I'm, I can only assume this was initially written in Arabic and then translated into various languages. The, the, the English isn't bad, but I like that they use the word Judaization, which is exactly what happened and what they call the mass immigration phenomenon in the various waves in which it, it developed in the 20th century. But Hamas is far more knowledgeable about their own situation than certainly anyone in, in the U.S. is. Hamas pointed out that the Oslo Accords were a mockery anyway. There was no possibility of establishing a Palestinian state. And this is because, and I'm going to quote here, because of a wide campaign of settlements, construction, and Judaization of Palestinian lands in the occupied West Bank and Jerusalem. Just one month before Operation Al-Aqsa Flood, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu presented a map of the so-called New Middle East, depicting Israel, which by the way they always have in quotes, stretching from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea, including the West Bank and Gaza. Of course, they, they also point out the Al-Aqsa Mosque in Jerusalem, the what they call assaults and humiliations um, there, and of course, those languishing in Israeli prisons. And they also point out, as we've done here many times, the 17-year blockade of the Gaza Strip. And so they ask a very simple question. What did you expect from us? What the average journalist uh, doesn't know and doesn't want to know is the nature of this occupation. It's unlike anything else. There was never any attempt to capture hearts and minds, unlike the Palestinians. If there's no attempt to capture hearts and minds and to, and to uh, uh, foster an acceptance of external rule, then it doesn't matter what they do. The Arabs, on the other hand, have no other choice but to pursue uh, public opinion. And that's why the media control has been so central to this. They make fun of the UN. They call it helpless despite being well-intentioned. The UN outside of the Security Council has been pretty nice to Palestine. And that's the origin of some of the Republican uh, contempt for the United Nations uh, over the last few decades. But they go on to say we either can wait for them which we know is never going to happen. And by the way, almost 200 UN workers have been killed here. Or they can, as they say, take the initiative in defending the Palestinian people, its land, its rights, its sanctuaries, knowing 
that the Defense Act is a right enshrined in international law and basic norms and conventions. Well, you know, we don't need international law to tell us that self-defense is a right. I suppose in this era, maybe you do. And it isn't the right of self-defense. It's who is defending themselves against what. That's the bigger the bigger deal. Now, concerning October 7th itself, Hamas states that they targeted Israeli military sites, bases, etc. They wanted to arrest the enemy soldiers, as they say. Uh, and the purpose of the hostages was to pressure the Israelis to release the now thousands of Palestinian prisoners that they have all over the, all over the country. They say very, very obviously that they wanted to avoid harm to civilians, especially children, women, and the elderly, as a religious and moral commitment by the Al-Qassam Brigade's fighters. Now, that's the military wing of Hamas. We reiterate that the Palestinian resistance was fully disciplined and committed to the Islamic value during the operation and that the Palestinian fighters only targeted the occupation soldiers and those who carried weapons against our people. And despite the fact that they do not have advanced precision weapons, they still took every precaution. Now, that rings true for a few reasons. They have no control over the press anywhere. They have no control over anything, really. Although they were elected by a huge margin more than once, with international observers overseeing the election, um, you know, by huge margins, every time that they're that they're elected, the Russians were the first to recognize them and, and assist them, and of course the Arab states um, did the did the same, and that was a huge part of the problem because they are genuinely popular. I have seen fake polls. I don't know how you you poll uh, people in the West Bank. I guarantee you they didn't go in as a war's going on and, and blockades and asking them if they trust uh, Hamas. Of course, you know, I, I've seen a few um, charts of this. It's, it's nonsense, but that's what's, you know, who's going to know? Johnson's Law uh, matters here. Um, but the reasons, you know, since they don't control the press, hearts and minds is the only way that they're going to appeal to anybody outside of their own their own state. Um, they can't play into Israeli propaganda. So they're going to be as careful as humanly possible. Um, but very much like the Israelis, by the way, they say in their report, if there were any case of targeting civilians, it happened accidentally and in the course of the confrontation with the occupation forces. Maybe some faults happened during Operation Al-Aqsa Flood's implementation, due to the rapid collapse of the Israeli security and military system and the chaos caused along the border areas with Gaza. What, what, does, the, what does the IDF say about this? The IDF openly destroys civilians, saying that there are no civilians in Gaza, that they're, that they're animals. Now, I want to I want to quote them. This is section two, part two. I'm going to quote them directly so there can be no misunderstanding. Avoiding harm to civilians, especially children, women and the elderly, is a religious and moral commitment. 
we reiterate that the Palestinian resistance was fully disciplined, as I said, committed to Islamic values during the operation. We targeted those who carried weapons against our people. In the meantime, um, or in addition, if there were any case of targeting civilians, it was an accident. I said that already. Since its establishment in 1987, the Hamas movement committed itself to avoiding harm to civilians. After Zionist criminal Baruch Goldstein in 1994 committed a massacre against Palestinian worshippers at the Al-Ibrahimi Mosque in occupied Hebron City, the Hamas movement announced an initiative to avoid civilians, the brunt of the fighting by all parties. The Israeli occupation rejected this and didn't even comment on it. The Hamas movement also repeated such calls several times. But, receiving, but received a deaf ear from the Israeli occupation, which continued its deliberate targeting and killing of Palestinian civilians. Now, in sections 2.5 and 2.6, they do make points that um, are generally not made elsewhere. Around this area, you did have settlements within the border of Israel that had been pulled back initially from Gaza some, some years ago. On October 7th, these settlers also, heavily armed, a lot of them are IDF uh, veterans anyway, um, they also clashed with Hamas on that day. And of course, the regime is going to refer to them as civilians. Well, they're nothing of the kind. They may be registered as civilians, but they were armed men fighting alongside the Israeli army. They also note, they say when speaking about Israeli civilians, it must be known that conscription applies to all Israelis above the age of 18, males who serve 32 months of military service, and females who serve 24 months, where all can carry and use arms. This is based on the Israeli security theory of an armed people, which turned the Israeli entity into an army with a country attached to it. And by the way, that's a also a phrase used by Zelensky in um, in Ukraine, but Zelensky also said he wanted to turn Ukraine into another Israel uh, as a security state, etc., etc., which coming from him is no surprise, and this goes to show that this is what the West means by, um, uh, by liberal democracy. Now, Amnesty International, who I usually make fun of, um, did condemn the IDF. They've been condemning the settlers for a very long time. But I also stated that they know that they can't go too far with that. So they also condemned Hamas and they claimed that there were deliberate civilian killings. Well, we don't know who these civilians are. Were they armed? Were they settlers? The whole concept of an armed people is official Jewish doctrine. They also claim to have verified videos. I don't know what Verified videos are intentionally uh, killing civilians. Verified videos shooting at this stupid music festival. And of course, they, you know, they, they know Amnesty International did mention the unverified uh, beheading 40 babies right out of like World War I propaganda and rapes. You know, again, it's just the same thing over and over again. It's ridiculous. So, um, but, you know, they even quote Haaretz, who was no fan of Netanyahu, but they are going to close ranks when it comes to Jews in general. But Haaretz will say, and did say, that lots of Israeli civilians were killed by Israeli helicopters. Um, 
there were two reports. Hamas fighters reached the area of this music festival without any prior knowledge of it, where the Israeli helicopter opened fire on both Hamas and the participants of the festival. Now, there's something called the Hannibal Directive. There's also the Sam Synopsis, which I've dealt with before. Most of you know that. There's, there's a book on it. Michael Collins Piper used to talk about it all the time. But the Hannibal Directive, either I forgot about or somehow I missed. It's part of the Israeli rule of engagement. And it stipulates that death should come before being taken prisoner or taken hostage. Even if it refers, even if it costs the death of the people involved. It was laid out in 1986, and this came out of the Lebanon uh, war. There were um, lots of POWs, abductions of Israeli soldiers in Lebanon, and they had all kinds of prisoner exchanges, which they hated being involved with, the the Israelis, because it implies a certain equality. But there's one version that says the kidnapping must be stopped by all means, even at the price of striking and harming our own forces. Now, the doc, there are some of this on paper, there's different versions over the years, and a full text of it was never published. But Israeli censorship is pretty strict. And the press was not permitted to talk about it, which was another way of saying the American press couldn't talk about it either. It was allegedly ended in 2016, but I have no reason to believe them. There was no particular reason for it. And... um even if it was on paper, it certainly wasn't in terms of the basic training and, and um, tradition of, of, of these people. They also note that the number of Israelis killed on that day, October 7th, last year, they, they subtracted 200. They went from 1,400 to 1,200 because the 200 burned corpses there uh, were Palestinians. And they say this in reply. It's a little convoluted, but you should be used to that by now. Hamas says, this means that the one who killed the fighters is the one who killed the Israelis, knowing that only the Israeli army possesses military planes that killed, burned, and destroyed Israeli areas on October 7th. Since these corpses were scorched from the air, and Hamas does not have an air force, because it's not a country, um, it's a it's a movement. If they're all killed in the same way, that means it was clear that the helicopter fired on Israelis as well as Hamas. In other words, killing Hamas uh, fighters was far more significant to them than saving uh, saving civilians. I've talked about the trilemma. Um, I'm kind of writing something on it uh, concerning the war in Ukraine. The trilemma is that counterinsurgency has three goals. Um, to minimize their own casualties, minimize civilian casualties, and maximize damage to their enemy, the insurgents. The problem is that you can't have all three at the same time. There's simply no way to do it. Because if you double your fire trying to maximize damage on your enemy, you're going to kill a lot of innocent people. This is the reason why Russian progress in the East, in Ukraine, was slow for a while. They were willing 
they could fight a war of attrition. Of course, Ukrainians without an economy. Uh, I think Hamas is probably better off financially than, than Ukraine ever was uh, without the war. Um, but you can have all three of those goals at the same time. If you want to minimize civilian casualties, you're not going to make a lot of progress with a, an insurgency. The only thing the Russians had on their side, of course, was that they were unpopular and they were in Russian-speaking areas exclusively. So um, the Israelis, of course, clearly have – everyone knows that trilemma. Um, uh, that it's a huge problem with counter counterinsurgency wherever it is, especially if it's a popular one, which you have in Hamas, you don't have in Ukraine because the, the Ukrainian army is not popular in, in eastern areas, probably not popular anywhere. Um, there's a government certainly isn't popular anywhere, uh, except you know among Jews. But um, the Israelis maximized want to maximize the destruction of their enemy and therefore have to be willing to inflict a lot of damage on civilians, whether it be their own or others. You know, I talked about the the situation with South Africa in the International Criminal Court um, um, where they're um, where they're talking about civilian casualties. Actually it's one of their 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 biggest issues. Um, now, they don't mention the trilemma, but the Israelis are not used to this kind of analysis. They usually just figure that their media around the world, except maybe in Arab countries, their media will take care of it so we won't have to answer it. That's why their, I mentioned last week, their response to the South African document was so bad. It was just pure rhetoric. It, it was very, very short on substance. But just like the Israelis were not talking to the court, they were addressing uh, Western populations. It's the same thing here. Hamas is, wants to approach the outside world. Here's our point of view. We dare you to publish it. Of course, they won't publish it, but they'll tell you what's in it. You have these stupid uh, YouTube channels. Here's what you need to know about Hamas. None of these people know anything. They're just simply getting their, their material from the New York Times, like that's a reputable news source. It is not. But Hamas, in speaking to the outside world, now let's be careful here. I mean, they understand who they're, who they're addressing. They say this, Hamas does not wage a struggle against the Jews because they're Jews, but wages a struggle against Zionists who occupy Palestine. Yet it is the Zionists who constantly identify Judaism and the Jews with their own colonial project and illegal entity. Now, they say this, and let me, let me, let me continue this quote here, because it, it gets a little iffy. What the Jews were exposed to by Nazi Germany, we remind that the Jewish problem, in essence, was a European problem, while the Arab and Islamic environment was, across history, a safe haven for the Jewish people and to others of other beliefs and ethnicities. We reject, however, the exploitation of Jewish suffering in Europe to justify the oppression against our people in Palestine. So, okay, um, it's true, though, that, that in the Ottoman Empire, for example, Jews were absolutely dominant um, in, uh, in the higher reaches of bureaucracy. I've spoken of that at great length. And over time, the distinctions between the um, Greeks at the Fanar 
the Italians from the city-states of North Italy and and um, and Jews slowly but surely began to collapse, let alone Islam, which is largely a, a creation of, of Judaism over time anyway. They're too similar to um, for that to be a, a, a coincidence. So um, it's, it's something clearly is aimed at Americans, Northern Europeans, uh, but no, you know, you have to be such a simpleton and so stupid to actually believe that because they're Jews, I don't know if there's something about the word that causes their, their dividing. You have people, you have journalists who really think that they hate them because they're Jews. It's just blind hate for no reason. That implication is, is a constant part of Israeli propaganda. And of course, they can't explain it. They don't have the understanding to explain it. So they accept it because it's easy. So, you know, speaking of ignorance, and Chris Hedges does a very good job in saying what I've been saying for a long time, um, talking about the, quote, Biden administration, unelected, but their inner circle, their Middle Eastern inner circle, Anthony Blinken, Jake Sullivan, and Brett McGurk. He says they have little understanding of the Muslim world and a deep animus towards Islamic resistance movements. They see Europe, the U.S., and Israel as involved in, of course, what I call a simplistic and cartoonish clash of civilizations between the enlightened, that is, the liberal West, liberalism and civilization are opposed to one another, somehow Jews are a part of that, and a barbaric Middle East, that would include Russia and elsewhere. Somehow they believe that only violence can solve the problems there. They believe that this alleged overwhelming firepower of the U.S. and the IDF, that is somehow a key to regional stability. And that's the illusion amongst the elites in the U.S., Jew and otherwise, that fans the flames of this war and perpetuates genocide. Now, I've read The Class of Civilizations many times, and there is no conception, at least no overt conception of superiority. But that's an excuse. Actually, I like the book very much. Uh, but that's the excuse that they use. What, what, what the truth of the matter is, that it's liberalism versus anyone who is non-liberal. And God knows, for the most part, Islam is non-liberal. Hedges goes on to say that these men are grossly incompetent. These four men, including Biden himself, they join the club of other clueless leaders. And he mentions those who just wandered into the slaughter of World War I, Vietnam, Iraq, Libya, Syria, Ukraine. And of course, the executive branch always bypasses Congress, especially now where a president is now ruled by decree, whether it be Yemen or Iraq or, or elsewhere. Let me quote, before I go here, Biden's uh, speech. You know, he reads whatever is put in front of him to uh, APAC. Um, and this is in 2015. He says, as many of you heard me say before, were there no Israel, America would have to invent one. 
we'd have to invent one because you protect our interests like we protect yours. The truth of the matter is that we need you. The world needs you. Imagine what it would say about humanity in the future of the 21st century if Israel were not sustained, vibrant, and free. Now, this idiot said this at the 67th annual Israeli Independence Day celebration in NDC. This is the mentality here. In his seven terms as senator, back when he was somewhat coherent, he received, according to Hedges, more financial support from Israeli donors than any other senator since 1990. He says his commitment to Israel is personal. And whatever the Israeli propaganda say, he will repeat. $14 billion he's asked for. In addition to what's ordinarily sent to Israel since October 7th, twice he bypassed Congress. The U.S. is involved in this genocide because apparently, according to this idiot, we need you for some reason. Every problem that the U.S. has in the Middle East is because of their support of Israel. And there is not a single exception to that. There is nothing left right now of Gaza. I'm going to end with a comment from Major General Yitzhak Brick. He said to the Jewish News Syndicate, which is just the media in general, but that's actually a specific thing. He said all of our missiles ammunition, the precision-guided bombs, the airplanes and bombs, all from the U.S. The minute they turn off the tap, meaning the U.S., we can't keep fighting. You have no capability. Everyone understands that we can't fight this war without the United States, period. And that's the quote here. The U.S. is tightly and very closely involved. These people, McGurk, all these people, none of them have any functional knowledge of comparative politics, but they are power seekers. They're bureaucrats. Their mentality is very simplistic. And if you read their stuff, like uh, McGurk's, um, um, uh, actually it was Sullivan's essay in Foreign Affairs, again, he has no understanding. Even saying that the region has is been quieter than it has been in decades. And he went back after the war started to fix that very quickly rewritten uh, version. These people have no functional understanding, so it's simply a matter of power. Anyway, I strongly recommend you get your hands on the Hamas report and read it yourself. It's actually very approachable. In the meantime, I will talk to you next week. Bye-bye. You're listening to Radio Albion. Talk radio for the nationalist community.